what happened to masculinity and how can men reconnect with strength, potency and warriorship in a way that doesn't alienate us from society, from women and from our children. I'm joined today by California man coach Kevin O'Connor to discuss and perhaps answer those very questions. Welcome to episode 5 of Back Down the Hill. So welcome to Back Down the Hill. Now, I am really happy to be being joined by Kevin O'Connor on this episode. Uh, Kevin is a uh, a man coach. That's what he calls himself. Um, and that sounds brilliant. And we're going to find out exactly what that means shortly. So he runs, a, he has a website called practicalmasculinity.net. And he coaches men to be better men, I guess. So tell us more, Kevin, about what a man coach is. I'm really happy to see you and to hear about this. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Noel. And um, as with all coaching, you're really coaching into yourself, aren't you? I mean, you are. So for my coaching practice, it was really about um, going through my own discovery process as I hit my middle years. Um, and uh, I've always been an entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur and very much uh, living the traditional life of starting a business and running a business and raising some fat children and you know the two houses the one recreational property the one in the city and and I'm Canadian I'm from Toronto and um, I got reached a certain point in my life I was married for 28 years and then I wasn't married anymore and nothing really prepared me for those middle years nothing really prepared me to dig deep and um, navigate through some of the challenges that we face as men in, in our middle years. Uh, seem to be an awful lot of support for women. Women generally have a broader friendship group. There's lots of support. They're very comfortable speaking about their feelings. Uh, they, it's, it's not perceived as um, a weakness if they express vulnerability. And we have a very different framework on the male side. And so when I uh, decided to um, become a coach, I said, you know, why don't I take what I've spent the last five years since I was um, left by marriage, learning and learning the hard way and translate that into some teachable moments for men and make that a little bit more efficient and thus the focus of practical masculinity where I take sort of a solution focused approach, which is where are you now? Where do you want to go? What's the gap? And uh, how do we pick off little steps to close that gap so you get to a place where you're feeling content and happy? Mm, and yeah. uh, so that's my that's my approach. Okay. And I well, didn't start out my life being I mean, a coach. There's a lot in there um, in terms of where men can get started with this. Now, I just the first thing I want to talk to you about is masculinity itself. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. because. I sense that masculinity is in trouble and it's been in trouble for quite a while because we, oh, if I think about my father's generation, um, you and I both are in, in our 50s and those guys had a good idea or a good understanding of what they perceived to be strength and potency and warriorship, if you like. They had you know, quite well-defined rites of passage. Um, I'm just wondering, for the modern man, where there are so many people with an opinion now, let alone the men, about what masculinity should look like 
<laughs> and should feel like. But we've got to hold on to it, I think, and maintain our connection to those things that I mentioned, but in a way that's not going to alienate us to society, to women, um, and to our children. So, so what's your view on that particular point? So that's a great question. We could speak two hours on this, so, but I'll try to be short because it is a far-reaching issue in today's society. So I look at masculine, the word masculinity sort of in two folds. I think about it in terms of masculine energy, which is sort of the flip side of the feminine energy. And then I think about it in terms of what is it to be masculine? What is it to be a man? Now, they are aligned, but they're not necessarily the same thing. So if we think about masculine energy, we're talking about the energy of making things happen, uh, moving things forward, of solving problems, fixing things, uh, creating things, building things, um, the energy of uh, a of, of purpose and direction and goal, being goal-oriented. And so when you think of that energy, that energy exists in nowadays in both men and women. In fact, it exists equal, in an equal abundance in women. So women, people will say, she's in her masculine a lot. Well, she's a single mother. She's raising the kids. She's got a job. She's doing all of these things. So she's in her masculine. So, uh, and, and men are in their masculine. The, the challenge sometimes is that men are now flipping into their feminine. And what feminine is, is to receive. It is to be open, is to have things brought to them. Um, the feminine is sort of the, the goddess earth. It's like, it is, you know, it is the peacemaker. Um, if you're raised without a good masculine and a good feminine energy role model, you can sort of flip into one or the other, really not have any sense of what that is. So let me give you an example. If a woman parenting is in, in effect a masculine activity, it is, you're, you, even though you think you're nurturing somebody, you really are making something happen, getting out of bed, get the breakfast ready, get things done, get you know, the laundry done, whatever you're doing in a traditional sense that maybe is a homemaker or in a, uh, a parenting role. Now, if you take a young man who's 12 or 13 and you've got a single ma and the single ma is in her masculine making things happen, that young man by default is in his feminine. He's receiving, he's being taken care of, he's being driven to school, he's having the uh, somebody remind him to do his homework, he's having, he's being uh, cared for in a way that doesn't necessarily have him taking action, him solving problems, him dealing with natural consequences. So even though he may present in a manly way, he actually is in his feminine a lot. And um, and so that, that, that kind of a challenge is that, you know, there's that concept of only one person can drive the bus. So if the bus is being driven by someone at home and not there's not space for you that that person to step off you know out of the driver's seat and put allow the other person to be in the driver's seat sometimes it's difficult for that man male to develop good continuity in terms of his masculine behavior so something's happened in the demographics of single parents and blended families and non-traditional work uh, workplaces and different roles that there's not the role modeling there that used to be there. When your dad was home, my dad was a pilot. I knew what my dad do, did, he flew, he, made, he paid the bills, he brought home some money um, and he was the provider of the family and uh, he was a guy's guy. And hmm. 
it, I got a fair exactly amount of exactly what you mean when you say that because yeah. Dick was my own father. Yeah, but he wasn't. My, he, he built shit. But he was he was in the shipbuilding. Mm -hmm. But but you know the same thing really. So if you're <clears throat> you can have a manly man who's stuck in his feminine when he's in the household. So I'll give you an example. I have a client who's a very, very successful heart surgeon. So he, he comes home and his, his concern is like, I've been in the hospital doing procedures all day, saving people's lives. I would like to sit down, put my feet up and maybe have my meal prepared. My wife's been at home. It's a very traditional uh, structure and have, you know, the, the old pipe slippers and paper brought to me kind of concept. Um, now, the issue is that his wife has been home with the two children, making things happen, homeschooling because of COVID or doing all the things that are associated with COVID. And she wants someone to come in and look after her. So what happens is they, at the end of the day, they're both there and they both want to be in their feminine. They both want to be cared for. And there's conflict. And so that isn't anything to do with being manly or womanly. That's to be within, um, you know, the sort of where they're at energetically. So unless somebody switches or pivots and he comes in and says, I'm going to decompress for 15 minutes and then walks into the kitchen and says, let's, what's, what are we going to make happen now? Let's go. Let's, how can I support this? So, you know, let me go gra grab this from the car. Or let me clear the garbage out right now. Unless he starts stepping in and has her feel like, hey, there's the, the Calvary has arrived. There's somebody here to support me they're going to have conflict because if he does that, she's able to go like, ah, my man's home, you know, even if he's not doing a lot, but he on the head, or she gets to have those kids. Maybe she feeds the kids. Maybe she gets them done and they've done their homework and he comes home a little later and she's had some time alone. She says, I'm going to take care of my man now. And he's able to sit down. But until they find that place where one is in a complementary energy place as the other, there's going to be conflict. It has nothing to do with whether they care about each other. It's just whether or not they're actually compatible at that moment in time. Yeah. So when you, so, so that's where I, I think of masculine femininity, femininity is very much energetically where people are. Yeah. Okay. Well, it brings us into, it's an interesting point. So the, the way you describe that little picture there, which I think could well be familiar to many, many men who hear it is, is, that, I mean, you talked, I've listened to some of your stuff, and you talk about essentially being average. And mm -hmm. um, you, you basically confess that you had a degree in being average, right? I did, an advanced degree. You really, yeah, you were, you were good at it. And what we have to do as men is recognize that that's not going to be sufficient for our future happiness and take individual responsibility to make changes that are going to improve the future for everybody concerned. Now, I'm dead into this individual responsibility. I think it, it pervades everything, every aspect of our lives that we need to improve upon can be improved when we reach the point where we understand that the best thing that we can do for every single person around us and ourselves is by making changes to ourselves, correct? I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. In a relationship, it's no different, is it? Uh, you are touching on a really favorite topic of mine, which is individual responsibility. It's, it's basically having a responsibility mindset. And I use the equation that E 
uh, plus R equals O. And what I mean by that is the event plus either a reaction to the event or a response, response implying that you've thought it through and you make a choice. Re reaction means that you're triggered and you just, you know, something happens and equals O, which is the outcome. And what you're talking about is taking responsibility for a response in the situation so that you actually change the outcome. And that's the only thing we can do to impact the outcome. We can't apply fault or blame or point fingers because we have no control over the other party in the situation. But we can decide in when faced with that event how we're going to respond. And that is the responsibility mindset. So I and 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 you know. I want to tell you about two questions that I ask women to ask men when they're doing online dating, when they're doing the checking out this guy. I say, ask them, first of all, what part of the breakdown of their last relationship do they take responsibility for? What part? Now, if the guy says, well, you know, she cheated and she left or we drifted apart and he's not able to sort of identify what it is, like what part? So when she asks them what part of the relationship do they take responsibility for in terms of the breakdown? If he can't come up with it, then we're, we're not heading in the right direction. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing is he says, wow, that's great. That's insightful. Now, what have you done in your life since then to ensure that that doesn't repeat itself in your next relationship? Because it's kind of like you had an accident. You take responsibility. You did glance down at your phone. You know, but that somebody did cut you off. It was 90% their fault. But you do remember that you looked over for a second on the phone on the, on the passenger seat. And you say, you know, I looked at the phone. And then somebody says, what responsibility, what, you know, what, what have you done? You say, nothing. I, is the phone usually in the same spot? Yeah, do you find yourself looking down on it? Yep. Well, you found where you're responsible, but you didn't take any action. So it comes right back to your uh, comment about taking individual responsibility and actually doing something about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so a challenge there for for many men, the first thing they would say is that it could be that they undertake this journey and they start, the eyes start to open, the scales fall away, and they start to adopt some of this individual responsibility. But you're going to very quickly realize, aren't you, that it's a two-way street. And they're going to say to you, how do I, how do I make her realize this and connect with me on the same level how do you answer that question uh you can't mm. you can't make her do anything and as soon as you try to make somebody do something they're going to resist it's a natural way of being a, you know i'll give you an example how many men do you know that their wives have gone on a sort of a health journey they've lost 30 40 pounds they're doing pilates or yoga they are super fit they have they look different in their 50s than they did in their 40s. They're eating clean, they're vegan. And the guy is bigger than ever, drinking more than ever. Now, he has seen right in his house the positive impact of those health, those, those lifestyle changes. But he's probably been exposed to a certain amount of subtle or indirect or even direct pressure on what he needs to do to change his life. And what does he do? He actually resists. Men will actually die they will die of a health issue rather than succumb or concede to pressure in a relationship to change something because they feel that they're being emasculated. They feel they're being challenged. So, and it, and it doesn't make any sense. You can see like, 
she looks hot and he looks a little sloppy. They're in the same house. She's even cooking for him a meal because he refuses to eat her vegan food. And so that comes back to the back to the thing is all you can do is model good behavior, a new behavior and trust that once one element of the equation changes, that the whole equation by definition changes and that it'll change for the better. And if it doesn't change for the better, you take responsibility for what decision you need to make in your future in order for you to be happy. So you do the best you can. If there isn't any change and there's conflict and there's resistance and you find you're not happy, the kind of responsibility you take after that may be something that is leads to a different arrangement in your life as co-parenting and being single. But you can't make somebody else do anything. Sure, yeah. Now, it, it seems to be from some of the things that I've, I've heard you say on the record um, that you didn't really have this epiphany until after the first marriage ended and you had to then carry on the journey uh, for yourself. And so how does that work? I mean, it, it, it may be that there are a lot of men who are you know, blindly careering forward in, in a, an unsatisfactory relationship and they need some kind of a, they need some kind of an intervention. Um, do you think there's any chance for that to happen uh, before things go wrong? Um, absolutely. Um, I say to people, you don't need to leave your relationship to find yourself. You can find yourself in a relationship and it circles back to what you were saying earlier, taking personal responsibility, understanding the role that you play in parenting, in the house, in the dynamic, in the conflict. And those changes that you make, that realization will make you a better person regardless of whether or not that relationship grows. <clears throat> so you don't do it for the relationship. You do it because you take responsibility for your own growth. You want to be a better person. You want to make a difference. You realize that you... you, you um, are detached, you're isolated, you're disconnected in the relationship and you want to engage more. So you say, this is probably a good thing for me and for my kids and for my adult children and for my brothers and sisters if I, and you do the work. Um, if in doing the work, you come to a place that's, I am missing something in my life and I, and I have, I, I, I really am focused outward on supporting my partner. I'm really doing the best I can, but I am not, my soul is not being fed. I'm not getting something back. And you've done what you can do in terms of suggesting you get some counseling together. The two of you talk to somebody objectively and you're not getting the reception. Then you might have to make a more uh, significant choice, but that's usually further down the road. I don't know if you heard this statistic, but Women, on average, think about leaving a marriage seven to nine years before they leave, and men less than a year. So that's why when women leave, a woman leaves a marriage, she never comes back. A man will leave and then realize two or three years later, a couple of geez, I didn't, I knew, I didn't know I had it so good, and they might make, they might pick the phone up and make a call, but they're not likely to get a really warm reception. They, it's unlikely that they'll be able to reconcile. So I, I think any man who does the work is likely to get a really positive result because if they're feeling it, if they feel like they're being, they're slightly, you know, tuning out of the marriage, part, chances are the partner has been for a while and they'll be really open if I uh, don't wait too long to 
seeing that relationship improve. So I'm a, an eternal optimist in my life anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to be. I mean, now, I'm imagining I, that you talk to an awful lot of men as well who whose marriage has ended. And so and you have that experience of then being um, a single empty nester, right, as well. Mm-hmm. It's like a double whammy. Um, how do you, you know, advise men to get through that particular uh, process? I mean, is it, it, I mean, I went through this after the first marriage of saying, I mean, I told my friends, you know, there's, there's no way I'm, I'm done with it now. It's, it's over. That was just too difficult, too painful. I never want to have that grief from a woman again. And so I'm staying single. That's it. And then, of course, as we all know, a couple of years later, you get over that and you want to to get back in the saddle. And I'm not so sure that just uh, through a process of waiting that you're any better equipped to do that than uh, you were 20 years before. So how do you approach that one? Well, it was a common theme today. We could call this the responsibility podcast today because you realized and i'm going to ask you a question after this one but you realize that um we're responsible for our own happiness and whether that's within a relationship or outside of relationship so if we're expecting the relationship to complete us we're already setting ourselves up for a high pressure dynamic with the other person Um, because you know you're building towards codependency you need a certain thing from the other person in order to feel good about yourself or good about your life that is a dangerous situation Mm, agreed but when we step away from a relationship and we're by ourselves um sometimes we realize that we don't have friends i can remember the day that i was walking down the street the first day out of the house and i thought to myself if if i got sick now um, this was, uh, who's coming to the hospital? Like most of my friends were family friends that were friends of my wives, myself and the kids. You know, I was 27 years into a relation, into my marriage. I didn't have, and I had moved around a lot as a young guy. I didn't have many real, real male friends, like guys that, you know, just like I hung out with. Now, the culture of North America is a little different than in the UK. I mean, UK, you can go down to the pub, you can have a pint and you can, there is some kind of, you know, that you, you, you get some um, uh, socialization. Sometimes in North American society, there's, there's, there's more isolation. It's just not, you know, there's a reason that COVID was rampant in the UK. It's because people socialize, they hang out with each other. It's not so much in, in, in North America, although the United States has done quite poorly as well. Um, so it comes down to taking stock. And at some point, I suspect you took stock of what was, how did you end up where you were, whether it's in a relationship or a job, and you were probably very, you got out of the denial, you moved away from it, you were probably quite brutal in terms of your assessment of like, what is going on? How did I find myself where I am? And in doing so, you create opportunity for uh, coming up with a plan. And, and so to flip this around, you took responsibility. Something happened after your second marriage. You ended up finding someone that you fell in love with and became a father. What was the switch that, for you? What, what turned for you? Uh, well, I did just what you said. I, I just, 
I mean, I slipped in my early 40s into a mode of thinking because at that point I became a single parent as well. And I had to, I've never really told my story, <clears throat> but, um, you know, my children, my two sons were abducted by their mother and taken to Africa and um, left there. And I had to go through a process of retrieving them, which was successful. So it sounds like a, a dreadful thing, and it was, but, but we, you know, the dust has settled on that now. But um, I did think that my, my, my objective in life at that particular moment was only to keep a roof over their heads and make sure that all their needs were, were um, met. And that, that was my job for, for mm -hmm. the 20 years, you know, because they were mm -hmm. quite, quite young guys, young boys. And um, after a few years, I wanted uh, to get back hold of my ambition again because i'd literally put that to one side and so i sought ways of doing that and i, I it was for the first time i ever now I reflect on it it was the first time i ever got to grips with attachment which is another thing that i do have an interest in and and i dealt with the attachment and made changes um to my life and improvements and restored some ambition um, in terms of what I was doing for a living. And, um, and I informed everybody that this was how it was going to be. So that I was going to be less available and, um, you know, less focused on certain areas that people had become accustomed to and so forth and said that this was for me and our future and, was going to benefit anybody, everybody in the long run. And I think every time that I've made changes, certainly in, well, in the last maybe five years, it's been a whole hell of a lot more deliberate than that because I regard this as an ongoing process of change and review and understanding where I'm going and visualizing the future and meeting objectives and setting goals. That's just a part of who I am now. But back then, that's how it, very much how it got started. Um, you raise a really interesting point. Um, more so, men need purpose. And so what happened, what I'm hearing you say, is that when you had to sort of go into high gear to get those boys back, I mean, I can only imagine the process, the expense, the legality, the red tape you had to, and the bureaucracy. I mean, it would sound, it, it's probably a, a miniseries in itself. Um, it's a story so, I'm going to tell someday. I'm just figuring out how to do it at the moment. Yeah, it's, and, and I'm sure it's a very moving and powerful story. At that moment in time, you were on the job getting something happen. Once you got those kids settled in and you started to say, okay, I'm going to step back. You said you had a vision. You decided you didn't use the word vision, but you decided, what do I want to accomplish? Where do I want to go? And that having that vision and knowing and moving towards that vision and being aligned with that, that's actually the number one predictor of happiness, reported happiness in men. If you ask a man what his vision is and he knows and he's on the job moving towards that, most people, men and women, but men more so than others, they will say they're happy. And, it, it, and that's why you see so much depression when there's a lack of opportunity in life. You, you, you see so much alcoholism when there's, low when there's a high unemployment, when somebody doesn't know what the role is in the relationship. Um, 
And because without purpose, without meaning, without direction, without a goal, um, men get really depressed. So, um, you know, there was the responsibility of taking stock of what you wanted, but there was also in doing that, you came up with a vision, a goal, you started to see yourself, your life in five or 10 or 15 years, and now you're working towards it. So to me, that's a huge part of what a man needs to do when they find they have space in their life because they're no longer in a relationship. Maybe they're part-time parenting. They are have more, more alone time with themselves. How do they use that? Do they commiserate? Do they drink? Do they look for a distraction and gamble and you know watch more than twice the amount of sports they were doing before or get on social media? Or do they take time to reflect and say, what gifts do I have? What are my talents? What I'm called to do? How do I make that happen? And just start taking little baby steps. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be the only way there's going to be a happy ending, really, because we're also considering more broader midlife issues like, you know, are there fewer productive years ahead of us than behind? And how am I going to deal with that? And, you know, uh, am I going to be doing it alone or with someone else? And it still comes that a piece of advice I gave to my sons who are 18 and 24 now, um, a piece of advice that, in fact, I, I really didn't take or have anyone give me at the beginning was you've got to decide where you're going before you decide who you're taking with you. And um, even if you're at that point in midlife of renewal, because we don't call it crisis, right, Kevin? Mm -hmm. of, of midlife renewal it's still the best piece of advice you can you can take really isn't it it's it's great advice and i like the way you put it and i'm going to uh use it thank you very much well i, I completely stole it so i'm going to confess yeah, yeah. that um, okay, so i'm going to steal I, it from you I so that's saw that <laughs> um in a book uh written by a, a man called, uh, called sam keen um and uh it's called fire in the belly this book mm -hmm. and it's subtitled on being a man and mm -hmm. he says that in there best advice he could give to any man at any time and so i'm stuck stealing it and passing it to you thank you and i'll oh. reference it um so the the question about and i like the fact that you call it a midlife a renewal because i've described my life and those changes and i've had so many people say so what you're really telling me is you had a midnight crisis uh, a midlife crisis. And um, I think it is sort of uh, defaults to crisis if you don't turn that into opportunity and you don't pivot in your life and say, well, it was a midlife catalyst and this is what's happened as a result. But I think if you sit in the crisis mode and get stuck there, um, you're, you're probably missing huge opportunities for growth. Well, I mean, I think midlife crisis doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean. You know, mm -hmm. midlife crisis is is what we've said. It's a it's a temporary dip in confidence um, and retraction, perhaps from society and social circles, because of that. And what it's come to mean is, you know, we're getting a girlfriend twenty years younger than us, and then buying a Porsche. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and um, it's not that. Never really has been. Uh, mm -hmm. characterization of what a midlife crisis is. I think that's crap myself. Yeah. Also, it when you think about the choices you make to adapt to a midlife awareness, 
um, kind of diminishes your choices. I mean, when people put it down to, you know, got a got his hair implants, he's got his car, he bought it, you know, he, he, and he dated somebody younger. Now, if that is something that is part of somebody's awakening because they realized that they had taken on responsibility at 16 years of age, they had never lived a life that would have them front and center. They gave up everything for their family. They built a business and, and they've decided that there's some recreation in their life that they didn't enjoy. And, and so for the next little while, they're going to live a little, then, you know, who are we to judge whether or not that that's appropriate or not, or that, or, or, or if that's impactful. Um, if they choose it because they are wanting to run away from feelings that they have, like you said, a lack of confidence and reduction, you know, and realization that they're mortal, that they can, there's more life behind them than in front of them, then possibly it's, it's, you know, reinforcing that, you know, they, it pushes them more into denial. So it's just so easy, as you say, to sort of have kind of a cliche idea about how people, uh, the choices people uh, make when they are facing an awakening and awareness, or they are, uh, there's a reckoning or a realization or the reflecting. And so I, it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that people sort of drop it down into a couple of behaviors and make it real mm. cliche. Well, as I think as long as you and I keep talking and people like us, then hopefully we'll move the conversation away from that uh, that characterization of what a midlife uh, crisis, if, if, if people want that word, mm -hmm. um, of what it is. So, you know, let's just keep doing that. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, we've had a great conversation, Kevin. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, and, you know, thank you very, very much for talking to me today. I think I think uh, we covered some really good uh, topics. And you're right, we could carry on literally for hours with this talk, but I've got to make this, uh, this conversation of reasonable length. So um, how can anybody watching or hearing this um, make contact with you? Just go to my website. Uh, there's a little box, a little thing there. You can make an inquiry. Um, I, uh, as as most people these days do, I um, have clients all around the world because we have Zoom. And, mm. you know, while some people may curse the fact that we're not face to face, it does make it easier for people to connect at some level. So it's uh, www.practicalmasculinity.net. Um, so you just put the .net and you'll see me there. And uh, I'm actually doing a workshop starting next month, four weeks uh, with uh, four women on dating in the digital world. And then I will be following up that for men It's probably men in their middle years who have to get online and they don't know where to start. And they, it's a, it's a bit of the wild west out there. You know, it's the pioneering days in terms of dating. So that's an area I'm very interested in. So someday okay. I'll come well, back listen. and we'll talk about dating. I didn't, uh, I'll put those details in the comments uh, uh, sections as well, where I can. Um, we didn't talk about sex and we didn't talk about dating. Um, and it may be that, I, that that's something I want to come back to and have a sensible conversation about. So I think maybe down the track, I might invite you to participate in a, a chat about that as well. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Track. All right. Take care now. I'll 
Wherever you are seeing or hearing this, please like, subscribe and share. The show is on YouTube and six podcast platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. A full list is available at anchor.fm slash bdth. My name is Noel Matthews and I will see you down the track.